All right, let's do this. The Unsuckable Podcast is back. Um, it's going to be a really interesting show this week again, at the end of the week. Uh, we previewed all the Champions League games, and now we're going to review them. And sort of also, and I think um, I'm going to bring in the first guest right away, because Josh, I think you may have won the sweepstakes for this week's bets. Uh, three out of four. I think we all got Benfica wrong, but you were the only person getting Villarreal right. So I had congrats, good job. Thank you, thank you. I had, to make, <laughs> I had to make up for last week. If you guys remember correctly, you guys all backed Madrid. I was the only one who backed PSG, and I got embarrassed. So I had to make up with, for it. I went for a dark shot at Villarreal, and to my surprise, they took down Juve away from home with three nothing. So I, I made up for it a little bit, but. Uh, it was a wild couple of games, and I can't wait to hear you guys' opinions, specifically on that Juve game, because that's just... Mm. I, I know I picked... It was honestly a shot in the dark, but I, I truthfully didn't really think that Villarreal was going to take it. Yeah, I, good for you, man. Like, I, I literally just guessed <laughs> on this one, but yeah, you got it right. Well done. Um, you know who's back, though? Filippo. Filippo, you're back just in time um, to talk about Man United going out against Atletico. Um, I hope otherwise everything is good for you. Yeah, I, I've grown to not get too attached to Manchester United anymore. Ever since Sir Alex left, there was this delusion in my mind that we would still be great. But uh, pretty much what we saw right there is uh, it's what Manchester United is nowadays. But 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 hey, look, according to Greg Berhalter, it was a dominant performance. We had more ball possession, more shots on target. Uh, unfortunately, soccer is who scores more and Atletico scored a goal and we didn't. So we're out, as expected. It, not even the United fans could score. So many water bottles thrown at Diego Simeone. Yeah, poor accuracy for them as well. Yeah, through and, and no class, no class, no class. And that's we're going to talk about this. I think it's an interesting topic altogether. But one guy will be absolutely over the moon. Um, Adrian, your heart set Benfica, your mindset Ajax. You should listen to your heart more. I should. Because why, why doubt this Benfica team? You know, Barcelona, no problem. Ajax, uh, can't really say no problem exactly, but we beat them anyway. But yes, we are one of the final eight teams left in this competition. How? Couldn't tell you, but we pulled it off anyway. And uh, look, I'm excited. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this one because it, I don't know if you guys actually watched that game, but it was a bit of a funny one. And I'm sure the Ajax supporters, I mean, there was one shot that they went to over and over again. It was an Ajax supporter just distraught in the crowd. And I can understand why. It would have brought me to tears with the amount of possession and opportunities they had. But nothing, nothing. A smash and grab, Manuel, a smash and grab. It was indeed. And I was sad too. Um, I have a lot of sympathies for Ajax after living there. And um, it's, I, I don't, I only have one club. I only support one club, but there's certain clubs that I have sympathies for. And Ajax is certainly one of them. But to be honest, like Benfica too, I mean, this is a club that deserves to be in, in this next stage. And um, I'm really curious to see what the draw is going to be like. Um, we're going to talk about that, of course, towards the end of the show or once we are done with the segment. But I do want to start with Man United against um, Atletico. Um, Filippo, this was so very predictable in so many ways, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, the delusion among me and a lot of Manchester United fans is we keep persisting and thinking next game will be different, right? And especially after you come out of the weekend with Cristiano Ronaldo bailing us out against Tottenham. 
but it didn't happen this time, right? Cristiano had no shots. On, I believe no shots at all during the entire game, right? Or is it no? Oh, I think he actually had no shots at all. And Atletico went there and got a goal with Renan Lodi, Brazilian Renan Lodi. And it, I, I don't know. It's just um, Manchester United, we thought Ole was the problem. You get Ralph Ragnick, and it still looks like we're under Ole. Nothing has changed. And right now we need pretty much a perfect season to make it to the Champions League next year. Otherwise, we'll be in Europa League from the start, which, to be fair, it might be good for Manchester United, not money-wise, but to stay a season in Europa League where they can actually play at their level until they need, they figure it out. A couple players have to go, right? Manchester United, I, I can't stand Harry Maguire anymore. I don't know what he's doing there. I think Marcus Rashford on the bench or leaving isn't something else that would be great, and including many other players. You can't keep playing McFred and expecting better results. Uh, along with that, there's a lot that has to change from management to the field and predictable. And, and congratulations to the English fans, right? We keep complaining about how CONCACAF, South America, they throw bottles. And they did the exact same thing, throwing at Diego Simeone. They couldn't handle the loss. And very classy way to the, 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 the country that invented the word soccer. Very, very classy of them. The the X, XG was uh, 1.27 to 1.29. I, I feel we all expected a low-scoring game. Um, I wonder what the XG was for the thrown bottles. Um, probably they got higher, all wrong. They got them all wrong. <laughs> probably higher than the XG that United put out. Um, but it's it's just... It feels like this club needs like a, a complete overhaul. Um, I think Ralph Rangnick, he, he has essentially come in to just be an interim's coach until the end of the season and then move into management and probably completely reconstruct this entire club from top to bottom. And that's probably what's needed, right, Filippo? Yeah, I think Ragnick's importance is more on the rebuilding the management of the club, the philosophy and how we work, rather than actually being the coach, right? Uh, we, we've seen rumors that maybe with the Chelsea crisis right there, the sanctions that maybe Thomas Tuchel could be leaving at the end of the season, and maybe Ragnick in charge of Manchester United, the club, right, as a sporting director or whatever it is, and Thomas Tuchel as the coach, that could be the beginning of a new Manchester United. Otherwise, right now, we're going to keep having this every season. doesn't matter who's in charge. If it's Ole, Michael Carrick, Ragnick, it's going to keep being this way, right? The, a lot of the signings Manchester United make, makes, make no sense the past few seasons. So I think if we go that route, things can change. But right now, I'm not really optimistic. Yeah, Tuchel was that that rumor. Um, my understanding is that he doesn't really want to leave Chelsea. Um, he likes working there. He likes to live. Most importantly, he likes to live in London. Might not have an option though. <laughs> well, we will we'll guess we'll find out. And tomorrow is the deadline for final bits on Chelsea, and see what happens with them then. Um, I think well, we're going to discuss Chelsea in depth, but. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Atletico. And Josh, you said last week, oh, sorry, this week, Monday. Oh, time flies. Um, Diego Simeone is your favorite coach. This was a masterclass by him, wasn't it? It was. And it was things that you've seen him do in the past before. Atletico has gone on two very impressive Champions League campaigns. Both were ended by their, their rivals, Real Madrid. But when he gets a team performing behind him, he's a special manager. And I personally, and you guys can... Correct me if you think that there's another manager out there, but I don't think I've seen a manager who's consistently grabbed a group. And there's it's no not saying that Atletico doesn't deserve where they are, but they've taken down some 
big giants in the past, taking out Bayern, taking out Barca when Barca was at their peak. He gets this group behind them. He gets them playing a very specific way, which is very difficult to do. I don't, I don't know if anyone's ever played in a system like that who's listening out there in, in any level of the sport, but playing and defending the way that they do, the organization that they have, they know when to break. And you could watch it in the game against United. You knew exactly if Atletico was going to score a goal, it was going to come from a counter. They had an opportunity where, where Chad Felix put it in the back of the net. It got ruled off. And then they had a very similar one. Griezmann with a bit of quality, nice header, Ren Lodi on incredible goal scoring form. He just, he's the manager you want to play for. And every time, and the reason I fell in love watching him is because they play ugly football. But it doesn't matter when you get results the way that he did this time. He got his group behind him. They got the result. And now they're heading to a quarterfinal where, depending on the draw, they could go for another special run. I'm super curious about the draw. Um, I think it's tomorrow, right? Champions League and Europa League draw, correct? Yes. I'm wrong. Yes, it tomorrow. is. Perfect. Um, and we got Adrian right up next. Adrian, your heart. Listen to your heart. Um, <laughs> this game, I mean, Ajax was all over Benfica, but you just realized the longer it would take, um, you just had the sense that Benfica would maybe... Go get it. And they did exactly that. David Nunes, your man, um, probably the most in-demand striker now, not named Erling Haaland. How do you see this game? Adrian, hold on, Adrian. Hold on, hold on. Can we ask Manuel to sing Listen to Your Heart? He's been saying it so often. I think... No. Please? <laughs> I'm going to be a rude Canadian and say no. Okay, I'll give it back to Adrian now. Maybe they'll be in a... You know, we'll put that behind a paywall. You can't just give away that kind of thing That's for free. Only fans. For only fans. For only fans. <laughs> exactly. Only fans. Yeah. If you don't know what only fans is, you're probably not old enough and shouldn't be on it. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, speaking of, or not even speaking of that, going completely in the other direction, Benfica and how they pulled this off, it was it was ugly. Something that does not belong on only fans, really. It, uh, yeah, I mean... Like you said, the longer that it went on, the more that you saw that belief build up in Benfica. We started to see them winning the ball further up the pitch when Yeremchuk came on. But Ajax, I mean, Eric Ten Hag set them up, I thought, really well. They snuffed us out at every opportunity. I mean, Benfica couldn't even transition from defense to offense. Consistently, they would win the ball back around their own 18, and then they'd just fire it back up for one of the Ajax defenders to pick it up again. Like, it was really, really bad in that first half. Adel Tarapt was doing nothing. Um, and then they bring on Maite in that second half, and we start to win the midfield battles a little bit more. But when you look at the opportunities that Ajax actually had, I mean, Vlacadimos only had to make two saves in the entire match. The rest were either blocked by Otamendi and Vertonghen, who were absolute titans, I thought, in this game. Julian Weigel as well, playing extremely well for us. Um, and then there was just spurned opportunities. Edson Alvarez heading wide twice, you know, shots getting blocked everywhere, just misfiring. Sebastian Allaire did not look like himself out there. So I thought that Benfica deserves plaudits for how they played defensively. But other than that, going forward, it was really, really poor from them. Shockingly poor, I thought. But this is what they wanted to focus on. This is exactly what they wanted to focus on. Sit deep, play well defensively, and try to snatch something from set pieces. And when you have... Like, I want to know what you guys think of this because it's interesting seeing Ajax. It's sort of unorthodox to see two small center backs like that, like 5'7 and 5'8 respectively, Martinez and uh, Timber. And Darwin Nunez, he's like six feet, six one. He's going to win that aerial battle every single time up against Timber. So I thought that that was a huge mistake that they made at the back. 
Um, and then Edson Alvarez was off marking, I don't know who, maybe Otamendi or something. So look, Benfica, that was the definition of an opportunistic match to sit back, one shot on target, one goal. And that was the difference. Shocking, but they pulled it off somehow. And the XG was uh, 1.29 to 0.4. That, that, that tells you that this, you know, there wasn't much in it for Ajax either. Um, there was very little in it for, for Benfica, of course, but there wasn't much in it for Ajax either. You know, um, I actually think Onana looked pretty bad on that goal as well, Adrian. Um, yeah, I know what you're saying, but it, then it, I... He, it, 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 it's just a, like... The aerial command wasn't there. Yeah, the aerial command wasn't there. And when I look at it this way, I think, well, what's his other option? Was it to bolt in front of those two players, which would Mm. have been difficult? It would have been hard to do that. Does he stay on his line? Because I think if he stays on his line, there's high probability that that goal is going in either way because it was a perfect header by Darwin Nunez just directed into the corner like that. So I understand it because he sort of looked like he was trying to Superman punch it away and he just flapped at it and it it wasn't great. So I can understand that, but it was a well-executed free kick for the most part. Great delivery from Grimaldo and a perfect header from Darwin Nunez. I I also think maybe because you mentioned the, the defenders and the height of the defenders and the center backs, right? But like in Gravenberg, they have a very tall center mid there. And same with Alvarez, right? He's not, he's not a small guy, unless I completely get this wrong here. But, um, you know, I, I kind of feel like maybe this is where they were hoping that they would get the aerial presence and they just didn't. And yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And I think... <laughs> I think they wanted, I think Gravenberg, and I could be wrong, Gravenberg and um, Alvarez were marking Vertonghen and Otamendi, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing is for all the good that those two center backs bring, that was always going to be the focus for Benfica because of that disadvantage they have for being so short, the Martinez and Timber, at least in comparison to your Nunez, your Vertonghen, etc. So that was always going to be the aim. And it worked. there was even a couple of set pieces in the first half where you saw that Benfica were connecting. They weren't necessarily getting good connection on them or they weren't coming close to a goal or anything, but they were winning that aerial battle. So that always felt like it would be the outlet for us. Yeah, it was definitely interesting. I'm really curious to see who Benfica is going to get next. Um, the next draw, of course, is going to be difficult. Very difficult. I was joking to you before the show, Adrian, that it's probably going to be Bayern. Um, <laughs> Please don't put that out there. We don't We don't want that. You know what? I'm trying to manifest for some reason. Chelsea. Because I feel like hmm. for all of their misfiring in offense sometimes... I don't know. I'm just getting a vibe. And I also, I want revenge for that Europa League final. So right. if we're going to go out, if it's going to be a Bayern, we're going to go out immediately. If it's a Chelsea, we at least can maybe get some revenge and maybe surprise the world. But Villarreal, everyone's saying, oh, Villarreal, your best choice. I don't know if it is anymore because I dare not bet against Unai Emery, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Back yeah. to you. <laughs> we're going to talk about it. I think Chelsea is a great transition here, Josh. This game, um, little seemed like they were on their way. And then a minute, less than a minute to go in the first half and Chelsea scored that goal. And yes, Philip, you get to talk about Pulisic in a moment. But first, Josh, that seemed like it changed everything around, didn't it? Yeah, that was the nail in the coffin. I thought Lille had a, like, again, I thought they played well when they took on Chelsea in the first leg. I thought they came out with a game plan. Gorbanek had his men doing exactly what they wanted to. They got the, the penalty. 
it was put away, it seemed like it, things were going their way. And I think you, we talked about it just before the podcast got started. It would have been a completely different outlook going into that second half, knowing that it was 2-1, knowing that Lillard are on the front foot, they have the momentum, there's an opportunity for them to all of a sudden make this a 2-2 game or 2-2 leg. And then just, I just felt like it was a dagger. It was, it was the worst possible time to concede. And not, in my opinion, this just adds salt to, to injuries. When pool six scored, he then goes away, kickoff happens. And then he immediately end the half. It was literally the second last touch of the half pretty much. And that was it. It made it a completely different outlook. Chelsea went on, were better in the second half and just, as they, as you'd expect them to do, saw it out. But yeah, I thought that goal towards the end changed everything. And if it could have been avoided, I think we would have had a, a lot more enjoyable 45 and who knows what would have happened. Yeah, I feel like that game, that, that goal killed it. Um, I felt like all the momentum was was with Lil at that point. And obviously there's so much going on with Chelsea and the politics behind Chelsea and um the, the latest bit now come in an American investment group, the Chicago Cubs owners, um, making an you have to make a serious offer in order to be considered part of the of the auction that is taking. Like by Friday, you have to put in a serious offer, and then you can be part of the auction. It's going to be very interesting what's going to happen next. But Filippo um, Christian Pulisic with the equalizer, um, that's a big goal, but you didn't like. <laughs> I know you guys love celebrating him on Twitter, but other than that, that wasn't a great performance. No, uh, I, I, I'm making a video tomorrow where we recap the Americans that played abroad and, and Pulisic didn't have, more specifically the first half, right? It was a poor first half from pretty much the entire Chelsea squad, including Christian Pulisic. He didn't really do anything in the first half, we're being completely honest. But that goal, as you have said, and Josh, it was key for Chelsea to go through for many reasons. It killed off the momentum that Leo was going to the second half. They go in with the 1-0 lead. It's a different second half. And Thomas Tuchel made the adjustments in the second half because he was playing with Kai Havertz and Christian Pulisic up top in the, in the first half. And I didn't think that looked very good. I'm not opposed to trying it again, but it didn't look that good. Uh, and then in the second half, Mason Mount came in for Kovacic, and then we saw Pulisic more in the right wing. Um, Kai Havertz has a false nine, which I think he's wonderful when he plays there, and Mason Mount on the left wing, and that looked a little bit better. But I'm not sure if that looked better because of the tactics change or because of the momentum kill that that Pulisic goal provided. Now, the Pulisic goal was a nice finish, a nice diagonal low finish, but I, I also think the goalkeeper probably could have done better. Regardless... What I was the point I was trying to make across was Pulisic once again came in clutch for Chelsea in the Champions League. We saw that last season against Porto. We saw that against Atletico Madrid last season with the assist, and we saw that again against Real Madrid in the semifinals. So it seems like he's built for these big games. Uh, but again, the performance wasn't that great for Pulisic, right? If you look at actually how he played, it wasn't that great of a performance besides playing a key role on them advancing. Right. And then, of course, on, on the other side, we had our man, uh, Jonathan David. Josh, did he justify a move to a bigger club last night? I don't know if in that wording, if he justified a move to uh, a, a bigger club. I mean, like... You know you what s- I'm getting at, right, <laughs> you, you You said in the, first, in the first leg that you wanted to see a player step up and show that he's ready for a move. Um, I don't think Jonathan David played necessarily poor, but I don't think he he shined to the point where 
were looking and being like, all right, Jonathan David has to move. Uh, besides the point, I do think he has to move. I do think his performances for Canada and Lil throughout the season has justified a step up. But in terms of taking the game by the scruff of the neck and and showing that I'm I'm here to overturn this two nothing deficit, I don't think he quite lived up to that. I think Jonathan David was the third best American in the game last night. That's All right, let's 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 remove him from the podcast. Let's get let's get Fleet out of here. Well, I, oh, who were the other two that were better than him? Well, Pulisic scored, and and well, actually, Tim Weah. Well, you got to talk about that Chelsea second goal. Um, he definitely fell asleep for a second on Aspilicueta, and and he does have some blame. But yeah, those are the other two Americans. Yeah, but the, the second goal, that, that Jonathan definitely. David does does identify as Canadian Haitian, right? <laughs> hey, still born in Bl- Brooklyn. Still right. born in Brooklyn. Lots of people are born in Brooklyn. That has nothing, means nothing. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like, who will make it to the next round, and who will hit the most three-pointers, then track your results. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Um, I do want to stick to Jonathan David though, because his price tag is enormous. We're talking about between 55 and 65 million euros. And he has been good this year, right? Especially for Canada. Um, he has been very good for Canada, but he's not, he's also playing in League A. And although he's, I mean, yes, he's only 22, but 13 goals in 21, 28 league uh, games isn't exactly an enormous output. And, and any of you guys can jump in here and just tell me if I'm wrong. But how many clubs are going to be able to afford between 50 and 65 million euros for a striker like that? Philippo. I can go quickly on this, and I'll, I think even Josh and Adrian might be better to talk about it. Yeah, the, the th- no one's questioning his ability and how worth it it would be to sign Jonathan David if you need a goal-scoring nine. Uh, the, the low goal score, scoring for this season can be more on Lille than Jonathan David himself. I don't. I haven't seen him really miss opportunities uh, from what I've watched. I don't follow Lille every weekend, obviously. I try to because of Wea as well, but I haven't seen him. It does seem like they don't create enough for him sometimes. A lot of the goals are him figuring it out on his own. And he is young, but again, he's he's in that age that he's not super young, right? He's 22. Maybe it is time for him to make a move. Now, in regards to the price tag, yes, uh, someone's going to have to pay $50 million plus for him. It's a big risk. And there's not that many clubs that are willing to pay that and can pay that. So mm-hmm. where will he land? I don't know. Uh, That's the big one for me. Yeah. Right. The price tag. And I mean, you're right. Like, Lil hasn't been exactly great. But Josh, you could also make the argument that 
there is strikers around the world that make chances out of nothing. Yeah, I mean that that's it. I think the the one part because I, I do think someone will come knocking. I, I I really think that Arsenal is one to look at, mainly because Aubameyang's left, Lacazette. We don't know what's going to happen with his future. They're going to be in need for a striker. There has been interest there. Obviously, that would be playing in a four two three one system. I have questions of whether Jonathan David can do it up top by himself. That's why I've always, when I thought of a club that he would be a natural fit, I just naturally looked to enter. But he. He, I think there's still a lot of room for maturity because what, in my opinion, makes a great striker, what makes a Lewandowski and, and Suarez in his prime is that they're consistent. There's no one who's a more consistent goal scorer in Bayern. Now, you can argue Lewandowski plays in Bayern. Chances will come, but he is just so efficient in front of goal. And Jonathan David, when he started out with Lille, had a really challenging start, and then he got really hot towards the end of the season, and he was putting goals in, in the back of the net somewhat like Lewandowski would. And then the beginning of this season, he kind of carried on. And it's like, okay, well, how many is he going to put up this year? 20, 25? And then he kind of hit a dry spell. And I think he went seven games without a goal in for, for Lille. And it's just figuring out that type of consistency. I think it's going to be a big opportunity for him. Now putting him in a maybe a, a better league with, with better players around him, maybe he will rise to the occasion. Maybe he won't. But I think it's an opportunity that he has to go. And then, like you said, I think the more he develops his game, those seven-game goal streaks will go around because hopefully he'll be able to eventually get a goal out of nothing and be that type of striker. Yeah. Do you have anything to add to this, Adrian? Just that I agree with Josh in that. I think that Inter and Arsenal are the two natural fits because I picture him at Arsenal. Now I think that Arteta would want a player that's a little bit better at holding up the ball and combining with his teammates. Um, that's not afraid of sitting a little bit deeper, such as Lacazette does with the good distribution. Um, but I do picture him playing, you know, playing off of Odegaard or off of the wingers, Martinelli and Saka, and that would look nice. And I also think that Inter would be a natural fit because playing with Lotaro right next to him, they would combine perfectly, which Lotaro and Jekko, you're seeing that it's just not really working between the two of them. Um, and I'm picturing Barella playing through balls for him. And I think that Jonathan David is more suited to a counter-attacking team um, simply because he uses that pace. And he's not really that guy that's going to sit back and, and combine with his teammates and really be on the ball a lot of the time. He doesn't need his foot on the ball. He needs to be running into space with it. So I think that those two teams are ones that could potentially be interested. But yeah, like you said, the huge question mark is that price tag i know that some journalists are saying he will go this summer it's just a matter of to who but yeah it's it's hard to picture especially because like josh just said he's sort of cooling off and there's still time in the season for him to pick up again of course you know we could be two weeks from now he could have scored four goals in a couple of games or something like that well the international break is coming so that won't happen but you know what i mean so it's going to be interesting but um yeah, I think he has a lot to prove, to be honest with you. And I hope I don't get canceled by Canadians, but I think that he does have a lot to prove with how he's been playing lately and mm. uh, just how he does go so cold for long stretches of time. Yeah, he's a bit of a catch up bottle still. That's, um, you know, catch up bottle, of course. It all comes all at once. And the cut consistency is, for me, the big question mark. And the very big clubs, Real Madrid, Bayern, um, I think that's pretty much it. That's the only two very big clubs left out there. But they're looking at someone who always scores, right? And um, I just don't see him in that category yet. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, I'm going to go straight back to you, Adrian. You said a tweet yesterday, and it said, um, never bet against Una Emery, never bet against Una Emery, never bet against Una Emery. Um, shame on us. You and I did. We were wrong. Um that was a masterclass by Villarreal. 
Absolutely. It, it really was. I mean, he showed up Allegri quite nicely. He makes two substitutions. He brings on Moreno and Coquelin. And who combines to win that first penalty for Villarreal? Moreno and Coquelin. I mean, this Allegri fellow is... Juventus is starting to look at like the team that they were when he left them, which is a little bit worrying for Juventus supporters. And it's a little bit harder for them to see, you know, is this really the right guy to carry this team forward? Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I think that he's decent for this sort of transitional period that Juventus is in. And then they need to go with someone who will play with a little bit more of an outgoing style of football because Allegri, I mean, whenever Juventus had the ball yesterday, especially in that second half, I'll say, they just didn't look like they had any clue how to generate a good scoring opportunity. They had, to be fair to them, some very good ones in the first half. Ruli made some good saves on Vlachovic and Morata. But in that second half, it was just a little bit clueless. And then one last thing before I let someone else speak is, what's going on with Matthijs De Ligt? I mean, he, in that first game, and I know everyone gave Rabio a lot of crap because he didn't track his man for Parejo's goal in the first game. But... De Ligt was following Lo Celso out of the box and vacated that area when there was no danger in Lo Celso's run. And then in this game, he lost Pau Torres for the corner, and then he dives with an intentional handball to give away a penalty at 3-0. You could say that the game was already gone by then, but still, I think that the falloff for him has been quite dramatic lately at Juventus, and it's unfortunate to see, but all credit to Villarreal and Unai Emery, who, like you said and like I tweeted yesterday, I will not doubt again. No, we shouldn't. Um, anyone wants to take a stab at what's going on with Matthias De Ligt? I, ha I have a theory, but uh, anyone else wants to go for it? You can bring your theory. I, I honestly don't know what's up with him. Yeah, I think that it is just a, the, the wrong club for him. And I still think find it very interesting that Oliver Kahn had a meeting with Raiola and we still haven't figured out who the player is that they were talking about. And I, my spider senses say it's maybe him. And Oliver Kahn is, of course, the CEO of Bayern Munich, for those who don't know. So maybe that's what's happening. But anyone has any final thoughts on this game? I mean, Josh, you were the one who got this right. So maybe I'm going to let you cap this one off. Yeah, I mean, the number one thing and the reason I just decided to, to, be, to be funny was, not funny with it, but just to go against the grain was because when I look at what Villarreal did last year in the Europa League, I know it's a different competition, but it's still a European Cup competition. It's a grueling affair. They, under Unai Emery, found a way to get it done. And watching Juve perform or in the Champions League in the past few seasons, it just, I don't know, had a little gut feeling towards the end there to try to shake things up that history would repeat itself. Um, a team that it does well recently in Europe, Europe would trump a team that hasn't. And that's pretty much exactly what we saw. And to do it away from home 3 nothing is just insult to injury and it's 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 also different because or interesting too because Juve was doing so well I think Adrian might help me out he's a fact checker but what 14 15 games undefeated like this this is genuinely a bit of a surprise but again if you look past this season in the past few maybe not so much yeah the last few seasons some of the teams that they have been knocked out by Lyon Porto It's not exactly teams that you would expect one of Juventus's stature to be going out against. So they seem to have this sort of juju around them that they just cannot get through this competition. And I don't know, it's, it's got to be a little bit concerning for them when you look at the squad, and you look at Allegri, who 
I don't know how to articulate this perfectly, but they went back to Allegri and it feels like in some ways they've taken a step back. With Sari, he was trying, maybe not succeeding, but he was trying to play more expansive football. But there were some limitations to that because with Ronaldo as your main man, you can't exactly have a cohesive press, although Ronaldo did well in Regnix against Spurs, but that's a different story. Um, and then they had Pirlo, who, you know, I didn't think it was very... It was an excellent play from Juventus at that time, but at least at times he was getting the results. You know, he still got Champions League, he still got the Coppa Italia, and now under Allegri, they could still get the Coppa Italia and get top four, but to go out against Villarreal, I think it is a little bit damning. Maybe we're underselling Unai Emery a little bit, but you just expect better from this team. With the investment they made this January Zakaria, Vlaovic, I don't know. I uh, it's, it's hard to see the light for Juventus, and it's still a long way to go to sort of round out that squad, I think. Yeah, definitely. Juve are a work in progress, and um, no Italian clubs in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Um, that's something to think about. Guys, I want to move on to um, the CONCACAF Champions League, and Although we had one team go through from MLS, overall still really disappointing results. Um, New York City FC barely going through against Guatemala inside Comunicaciones. Montreal out against Cruz Azul. Um, Pumas overturn a 3-0 deficit against New England and then go through on penalties. <sighs> you think that maybe this could be the year. I mean, of course, Seattle... Um, could get the job done against Club Leon today. And then it's two against two. Um, two big games like for, for, for the MLS teams. Um, Philip, I'm going to go for to this for this one to you. Um, NYCFC, not exactly the most convincing performance. They just announced that they have signed a Brazilian winger called uh, Gabriel Pereira from Corinthians. Um, as we speak, I just got their email. Um What, first of all, what was your thoughts on the game? And B, do you know anything about this guy? So he didn't play much for Corinthians as far as I'm concerned, which tells me a lot because the Corinthians side, rivalry aside, they're not a very good team, <laughs> um, right? Well, I mean, they, they're better this year than they were last year, but I, I honestly, that, that says a lot about the player, right? I've followed the Brazilian league and especially Sao Paulo, which Corinthians are the rivals of Palmeiras. And I don't know much about this guy. Um, and even if I watched him play, it wasn't noticeable. So that's all I have to say about him. In regards to the game, yeah, they advanced on away goals. It was kind of embarrassing. I know the Comunicación in his fourth goal was very late. But I mean, New York City FC was almost knocked out after winning at home with some comfort, right? 3-1. Montreal, I don't... Oh, oh, we're still talking about New York, right? You don't want me to dive into the other ones yet, right? You can go straight in, man. Yeah, uh, so Montreal, I don't think their result was actually disappointing, in my opinion. They didn't play bad, and they lost away and drew at home against Cruz Azul, which is the strongest Mexican side in the CONCACAF Champions League left. So I don't think Montreal disappointed. I was hoping they would go through, but it wasn't the one I was counting on. However, for our dream to fulfill of... MLS actually winning the CCL, it required New York advancing, which happened, and at least two other MLS sides to advance. And I was hoping New England and the Sounders would advance because Montreal had a tougher task in hands. And what happened is New England um, bottled it. 
They won 3-0 the first match. Now they lost 3-0 to Pumas yesterday. They honestly could have even lost 4-0, but they got it to PKs and lost with congratulations to Leggett. He kicked the field goal during the penalty shootouts. And congratulations to Bruce Arena. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, the most accomplished, I guess, American coach of all time. But I have my thoughts on Arena, and I, I just don't think he's a good coach. I think Jermaine Jones summed it when he talked about Bruce Arena saying, that it was the worst coach he's ever had. Uh, and there you have it. Um, uh, MLS is probably not going to win the CCL with two Mexican sides of advancing. Uh, I, I think the Sounders will likely advance against Club Leon today. At the time of this recording, they haven't played yet and the Sounders have a 3-0 lead. I don't think they'll bottle it. But even if they go through, I still think Pumas or Cruz Azul will take this. I think what was disappointing in Montreal's case is just how we saw in both matches that the goals that they conceded were issues that they created themselves, trying to play it out of the back. And, you know, when there's a young guy like Ismail Kone, we're not going to blame him, of course, um, because he's so young and that's going to happen. That's a risk you take in playing a young guy like that in a huge match like this. But that's what was really disappointing for Montreal is how they sort of created their own issues. They're their own worst enemies at times and trying to play it out the back and making those mistakes to give away goals like that. And what's even more disappointing is that right before that goal that Cruz Azul scored, Romel Kyoto had a very good opportunity on his left foot that he just spurned completely and it went way right wide of the goal and it's the things like that that are just killer in these competitions right so had he converted that maybe we would have been talking about a different story the crowd gets into it that energy in the uh Stade Olympique starts to build up but um you know all things considered I think there's still a lot to be optimistic about with this Montreal team and uh, hopefully the Sounders can get through because if there was one MLS team that I'd like to see win this thing it's Seattle Sounders and Manuel, can I add one thing too? Watching how New York City FC played, I'm sorry, I, I can't see them winning it. They're pretty much the Manchester City of the CONCACAF Champions League. I just see them bottling it eventually. So if there's any team, like Adrian just said, that could win it for MLS would be the Sounders, right? I do think they're one of the most consistent and strongest sides in MLS, well-coached and have great players. But I, I'm very doubtful and skeptical of MLS winning this. I think for us to win it, it required having three MLS sides in the semifinals. And that's not going to happen anymore. At best, we'll have two. So that, that's my thoughts on it. I was cautiously optimistic. Now I'm extremely pessimistic with it. So I here's my slight hint of optimism. I think if Seattle goes through, the chances are 50-50. Simply because this it's two and two, <laughs> um, you know. I think the Sounders have a good chance, a very good chance. Um, I think New York City FC. I still think actually day two. It's just that they have to find a bit more consistency, and um, I'm really curious um, what's going to happen with this Gabriel Pereira transfer uh, now that it is through, and how that's going to add. They have a lot of Brazilians on this team scouted and signed by the city group they usually know what they're doing so yeah just to add one thing here so this gabriel kid from corinthians he didn't play much for corinthians but there's one thing in brazil that happens to these big clubs like corinthians for example is it's very hard for a young player to break through into the squad because of political pressure and fan pressure mm -hmm. and gabriel i believe he's like 19 or 20 
So maybe yeah. the kid is very talented and it's just a matter of the club, right? We've seen a lot of Brazilian players that weren't playing for their clubs in Brazil or struggling. Right? We talked about how Vinicius went to Madrid and he wasn't a starter for Flamengo. Uh, I believe Casemiro was at one point struggling at Sao Paulo as well because it's a very toxic environment at times yeah. for a kid. And he's 19 or 20, so maybe he's a good sign. Now, Thales Magno was a good signing. He was coming back from injury. Vasco was... some time. Yeah, and Vasco was broke. So New York City took advantage of that, and they took him, and, and he's proving to be a lot better this season than he were last season. City group, Filippo. Sorry, what? Done, this is all done by Man City. Same with this transfer. Yeah. So we'll see about that transfer there. But in regards to the Conca champions, we can only hope now. Yeah. And with, with that in mind, hope is the hope springs eternal. So I think we're, we're going to end the podcast here. Um, thanks for, for listening, guys. Um, I see Adrian's hand raised. You're going to ruin my timing here, Adrian. But I'm going to ruin your timing and just saying that Herbin needs to cap Kone ASAP. We need to get that done and lock him in. And that's all I have to say because we need another midfielder like that. National team thing drops tomorrow. So we'll see. All right, guys, that's it. Um, when you listen to this podcast, please also give leave us a review. That massively helps. And we'll be back next week with fresh content. Until then, cheers and bye. <laughs>